This is episode number 120 of Patrick Jones Baseball. On this episode, we have Rachel Folden. Rachel is the owner of Folden Fast Pitch. Um, She has her own facility in Northwest Indiana, former professional softball player as well. And it's it's so crazy to to see uh, the game of softball grow and also how similar it is to baseball in, you know, hitting movements. And we go over kind of what Rachel does and she, you know, she talks about that, I should say. And, um, um, pretty awesome stuff. She's super smart. Someone I follow on, I've followed for a while on Twitter and puts out some great content as well. And um, just really a really good coach. Um, so it's I think it's something that um, whether you're in baseball, whether you're um, in softball, no matter what, um, you can definitely take something from it. And um, it's going to be an awesome, uh, awesome episode. So um, one of the big things um, that I wanted to, to talk to you guys about is, you know, AxBat. Um, AxBat actually has a special offer for all of Patrick Jones baseball listeners. Um, in 2017, Axe released the AxBat Speed Trainers, which were powered by Driveline Baseball. The revolutionary bat speed training system utilizes a mix of overload and underload weighted training bats to promote bat speed, power, and precision hitting. This month, Axe released their new training bat, the Axe Long Trainer. There is nothing else like it. I've actually put out a couple of videos on social media. Um, It is incredible. The Long Trainer is a 37-inch, 37-ounce training bat that helps high school, college, and pro hitters improve their bat path and increase bat speed it comes with data-driven training programs from driveline baseball for in-season and off-season development so if you go to axbat.com and use my code pj training at checkout you will receive 10 percent off your purchases of axbat training products including the axbat speed trainers and the new axbat long trainers so make sure to head on over to axbat.com and take advantage of this great offer while it lasts because I'm telling you, it's not going to last for very long. So 10% off the uh, long speed trainer and the um, Axbat um, trainers as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, now Rachel Folden. All right, and we are now live with Rachel Folden, who is the owner of Folden Fast Pitch. Rachel, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Patrick. I appreciate it. All right, so uh, you know, I've I, I've done a little background on you. I kind of know a little bit about your your background, um, but for those who don't know about you, kind of just give them a just a you know a summary of of how you got to where you're at today, and and kind of just you know just a little brief background yourself. Sure. So I grew up in Southern California. And um, I played baseball till I was 12. And then I switched to softball um, kind of on a dare. I hated softball. I thought it was the dumbest sport in the world. And my basketball coach, actually, basketball was my chosen sport at the time, asked me to play on a softball team. And I told him that softball was stupid. So I said no. And he said, yeah, well, you're probably not very good anyway. And I took it personal. So I played. And the rest is history. I played with him until I um, started getting recruited and I went off to college at Marshall and I had a great career there. And um, then I got drafted by the Chicago Bandits and played in the NPF for four years with them. And then I played my final year with a team that no longer exists called the Carolina Diamonds for one year. So I played five years as a professional and had a pretty good career there. And um, 
started coaching in college. I coached at a little school called Holy Names University while I was still playing. It's a NAIA school in Oakland, California. And then I got the job at Valparaiso University, and that's where I live now. I still live here in Valpo. I coached there in 2009 and 2010. And then I didn't, I didn't want to coach in college anymore. I decided I liked training players. I hated recruiting. So I, and I like sleeping in my own bed at night. Yeah. So I, I just, I was like, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. And I, I quit and I started giving lessons and one night a week turned into two nights a week and two nights a week turned into a waiting list. And now I have this little 2000 square foot facility that I absolutely love that kids come in and they just, you know, just come in and train and it's a, it's a blast. That's, that's awesome. Um, I, I actually didn't know actually the part that you played professional softball. So I'm, I'm really curious about this. So how, how does that work? Like you got drafted. I know actually like we're doing this, uh, pot like podcast, like the MLB draft just got done. So I'm kind of, I'm curious, like, how does that work in softball? Uh, basically it's, well, when I got drafted, it wasn't a production. It was just kind of like, they, they try to make it a production now where they, you know, have this, a live feed or live stream or something. Um, I literally got a phone call from two teams a week before the draft um, just to see if I was going to play because a lot of players that get drafted don't want to play. Um, it doesn't pay very well, which is why not a lot of people have heard of the NPF. It doesn't pay very well. Um, it is incredible competition, but a lot of players that get drafted, they want to go on with their careers and make money, so they can't play. So it's really about just college coaches and high school coaches and teachers are about the only people that can play um, because they need the summers off and they need it needs to be extra income instead of your only source of income. So people don't play very long. They usually play while they're in grad school or something like that, you know, one to two years. But um, I was fortunate to play for five years and uh, coach in college while I was playing. So it kind of worked out that way. But I just got a phone call and they said, hey, if we draft you, will you play? And I said, yeah. So Chicago picked me, uh, Akron, the Akron racers team, they called me. I was, I think I was going to be their first round pick. They passed on me and I was the first pick of the second round for the Chicago bandits. There were only six teams. So I was the seventh overall pick. I think where, now where, where are some of those teams located? Is that Midwest or is that? So the Akron racers, yeah, a lot of them, it just, they've, it, there's been so much turnover. So currently there are, oh gosh, I think five or six teams. Um, one of them's in Canada. One of them is based out of Akron, Ohio, but their team is, um, houses a lot of the Chinese national team players. And so they're called the Shogun, I can't pronounce it, Shogun Eagles, I think is what they're called, but they're based out of Akron, Ohio. Um, you've got a few teams, like the Chicago Bandits are still here. There's a really nice stadium. Um, Valparaiso is not too far from Chicago, so there's a really nice stadium over here. Um, the USSA Pride in Florida have a really nice stadium. And those are the two most... Uh, the two longest standing teams that have been in the league, the rest there's, there's been a, a ton of turnover. Is so. uh, I know I, I've heard of some players who play overseas, like actually over in, I think Italy or is the money is, is the situation any better over there? Um, this in, in Europe, the competition isn't as good. Um, I don't have any idea about the money. I have no clue. I know in Japan, they pay very, very well. Mm. So I believe in Japan, cause I was asked to go to Japan. I believe in Japan, you get two Americans per team 
And so, or two foreigners per team or something like that. And um, so a lot of pitchers go over there. Um, occasionally you'll get a shortstop. A lot of pitchers and catchers though. And um, that's, J- Japan pays very well. You can make really good money playing in Japan. So actually I, I was talking to someone the other day who was, who was playing in Italy and they have these weird rules where you can have like two Americans on a team, but they can only play if you're facing someone who's also playing two Americans. It's like these like really weird rules. I don't know. I thought it was kind of interesting. So for, <laughs> I, have, yeah, I have no I, idea. Um, so, so for like the USA, like the Olympic softball, like where so are do those um, women where do they do they play in these professional leagues like until the Olympics? Some of them do. Um, the NPF, which is the professional league, and Team USA, for years and years didn't play nice with each other because their seasons compete. So when you go play in the Pan Am Games or the Japan Cup or things like that, it conflicts with the NPF season. And so instead of working together, you were always made to choose. So like when I played, 2008 was my rookie season and that was an Olympic year. So the Olympians on our team didn't play that season. Mm-hmm. But when the, the following season, when I, or what, 2012, oh, what happened? Or the, yeah, no, that was it. That was the last Olympic year. So that was the only, my only experience with playing with Olympians was um, we had like Jenny Finch was on my team and she didn't play in 2008. She had to come, I had to wait for, to play with her until 2009. Um, what, was that ever something that you like really went after was trying to be on that Olympic team? Like, how does that, how- uh, it's, it's, it's always been an invite only structure. Okay. So okay. that's, that's always how it's been. So it's just, you, you either, it's very, it's a lot like team USA baseball from what I understand. It's very like. I don't. I don't want to use the word political because then it sounds like I'm being a baby. But it's very. Oh yeah, no. Uh, it's kind of a good old boys club. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Um, you get a. I went to Marshall, so you get. I mean, Pac-12, SEC, and Big 12 is basically the people that make those teams. Very, very rarely are there small school um, players that get looks or get phone calls. Okay, gotcha. Let's. So, uh, let's. Let's. I want to. I'm. I'm curious to hear about kind of your uh, coaching style and like how you train your players. And I, I know we were talking before, uh, before we got on air, you know, you just got a K vest, you know, you've, you got a really, some really cool uh, tech gadgets. And so just kind of take me through on, on like what, what you do with your players, like why you do it just like, and we'll just start going from there. Well, over the last year, I've kind of pivoted strategies like, more than anyone could have ever pivoted. So I've always been the half hour at a time. Everybody comes in one-on-one, half half hour at a time. You come in, you get your lesson, you hit cage bombs, and you leave. And some kids get better and some kids don't. Everybody looks good in here. So my job was, I was loving my job because I just got to watch kids hit bombs all day, feel good about themselves, and then they would leave. And I just realized about a year ago that I was sending kids off to college and they weren't doing very well. They weren't playing. They weren't, they were not playing. They weren't hitting. They just weren't doing well. So I knew I sat there and I thought, I don't think I'm preparing these kids for college. I think I'm just preparing them to feel good every time they come into my cage and that's it. And so I have always kind of had this, I mean, like the whole anti ground ball, hit the ball in the air. I've always been that way. You I probably hit in my career 80% fly balls 
and no one could tell me different because I wanted to hit every ball over the fence. And so from a mindset standpoint, that has never changed. I've always been that kind of rebellious coach that, especially in the game of softball, everybody wants, they, they think speed is still in our game and it's really not. I mean, if you turn on the women's college world series, oh, you yeah, just, yeah. Like, it's just a dinger fest. Oh, right. Yeah, and so everywhere. that's it. And, and, and hitting has just completely surpassed softball pitching, which we'll get to that in a second. But the, um, I've always been that person that says, I mean, I'm five foot four, I'm, I'm small and I can hit the ball over the fence. So can you, and here's how you were going to do it. And so I've always been from a mental standpoint on that side of it, but I don't really think that I was, my methods were preparing people to actually go in and be successful in a game situation. So I started to kind of, you know, I got on Twitter and I started to just, I think Twitter's a fantastic resource and just learn from people like Chad Longworth, um, Justin Stone, from guys like you, just, you know, Zona Baseball, all these people that just put out all this content. Carlton Salters is another one. Put out all this content and just, it's like, dang, man, I do not do anything like any of these people. And those guys and girls that go to those places rake and my girls go to college and suck. And I, and I hated it. I hated that feeling of like, dang, I got to do better. And so, and I'm competitive. So I was like, all right, well, let's go learn what all this stuff is about. So you start asking questions, you start going down the wrong, you know, the right rabbit holes, you go down a lot of wrong ones. Um, and you start meeting people that know something that you don't. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not, I don't want my ego to take over. I don't want this to be about me. I want it to be about the players. And so when it comes to training styles, if I expect them to go out, bust their butts, work hard and learn everything they can and get better, I got to be doing the same thing. And so I kind of just said, all right, well, we're going to take what I did and we're going to tear it up and we're going to throw it in the trash and we're going to completely pivot. And so what I started with was I, I had, I had been chatting a lot with um, Travis Kerber and Justin Stone of elite baseball. Travis actually lives like probably 10, now I would say 10, 15 minutes from me and um, Chicago's not far. So I started, you know, talking about a lot with them and meeting up with them and learning and I went through this movement course that uh, Justin gave and I, about mobility assessments and movement. And I thought, I, I mean, I knew nothing about it. I have no background in physical therapy, physiology, anything of that sort. And I thought, well, that makes sense. I've been asking this girl to stay leaned over the plate and she can't. And so I've been screaming at her for four years to stay leaned over the plate when really I didn't do anything to correct the issue. And so that kind of made me change. And I was like, okay, well, we're going to do a mobility assessment with all my students. And it was really eye opening. And I thought, okay, well now I got, what do I do? I just did a mobility assessment. Now what do I do with it? And so now I started to talk to, um, there's a guy named Jordan Smolar. He lives, um, about 10 minutes from me and he owns Northwest Indiana sports performance. And he's a super knowledgeable guy. He lets his son hit with me every once in a while. And, um, he's, you know, obviously a, a physical trainer. So I asked him a lot of questions and, you know, I started coming up with this little movement library that I have. It's online for my students. I came up with some exercise libraries, just things that they can do before they come into the cage. So, um, what all my students have to do now is let's say our lesson lasts a half hour or an hour, sometimes longer. They are required to do a 30 minute movement circuit mm. and they have to do it. It's mandatory. 
So when people call me and they say, hey, I can't make the warm up today, but I can make the lesson. I say, well, then we have to find another time because I think it's that important. Wow. And so they have to do that. And before they come in and it's amazing the results that I've seen. So now what I see is I don't have kids struggle in a game as much as they used to because they're actually repatterning their swing instead of fixing it for a half hour and then going back and just doing what their body is built to do. And so it's amazing. I mean, I, I just, I, I, it was a risk and it was, I don't really have any evidence that this is going to work, but damn it, I'm going to try. And it's, it's crazy how much it's, it's just improved. And I think that's probably been the biggest pivot. The other pivot is everything my students do. I figure they're always on their phones. So I made an online drill library. Every drill that we do in house is online. If I don't have it online, I film it and I put it online and my online uh, clients use it as well. But when they come in here, there's a sheet, their stuff's written out for them and they go online and they just, if they don't know what it is, they just go on the, on the website and they just look at the video and it's easy. So it was a lot of work for me, but it makes a lot of things easier for them. So, okay. That's, that's, that's awesome. Um, so what they, so like now, for example, what, what they, what you have them do just to clarify, they come in at least 30 minutes beforehand, right? Their actual lesson yep. starts and then they Correct. go through their like movement prep. Like what, it, like what would, what's like an example of like what you would have them do? So the first thing I have everybody do is foam roll, um, just in case they're sore, especially in the summertime. Cause they'll go play six, seven games on the weekend and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday lessons, they're still sore from the weekend. So they foam roll. Um, I have a rowing machine in here. Sometimes they row um, every single lesson, whether it is uh, hitting or throwing or catching or pitching, they have to do a Jager band routine, period. End of story. They have to do it. Um, arm care is just absolute crap, especially in softball. I think it's crap in baseball, too, in a lot of ways, but it's 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 horrible in, in softball. So I make them do it. Um, and then they have uh, stuff that's specific to them. So if a girl struggles with hip mobility, which most kids under the age of 12 struggle with hip mobility, they have to do a pelvic mobility circuit. And then if they struggle with thoracic mobility, they can't, you know, extend or they can't turn very well, or they, they, they're, they're out of balance while they turn, they lack core stability. Um, they have to do a thoracic mobility circuit. It's all, the rest of it's completely tailored to them. Um, we do a lot of PVC pipe drills. Um, the younger the, the, the student, typically the more um, movement and control based it is. The older the student, it's more dynamic. So it's more weighted bats, medicine ball workouts, um, things like that, you know, medicine ball throws, just, just things that will translate into the cage that is more um, geared to whatever their movement deficiencies are as an individual player. And so is this just you doing all this? Yep. Really? <laughs> they, I, I mean, I'm a one woman show and uh, I, I, I work a lot. I feel bad for my wife sometimes because I work a lot. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's a lot of work outside of the cage. Um, the cage part, I, lo I love coming to work because my job is done and I get to sit and enjoy the, the fruits of the labor. Uh, which when I go home, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... everybody gets a mobility assessment. The first, that's the very first lesson. Now everybody gets a mobility assessment. And now I've only had the K vest for about a week, but now every single new student will get a K vest, um, evaluation as well. And so 
it, it's I'm already like I'm up to my ears in things that I have to sift through and look at. And I'm I love it because I'm already like I can look through it and I'm like, wow, it just it's eye opening. What, what so uh, speaking of KVS, like what have you like what do you like so far about it? What have you seen? Just what what's your kind of initial takeaway from it? Um, what have I seen? I've seen some some pretty bad hitting sequences so far that is still good enough to produce some pretty good results. Um, I think you can, from what I've looked at, you can get away with a unstable lower body if you have a pretty good upper body sequence. So if, as long as your hand, I mean, and again, I've only tested in the last three days, I, I've had experience with KBS before. So I, I work elite baseball and I have partnered on um, some college softball consulting deals. And so we have tested some college baseball and college softball programs. So I've, I've looked at the data. I've, I've used it. I'm familiar with how it works. So that has kind of streamlined this process a little bit. And so now when I'm sitting here after hours and I'm opening graphs and I'm looking at them, um, you can see that like, if your pelvis is out of sequence, you can still produce a decent swing. Um, but if your hands are out of sequence, it's usually a pretty garbage swing. And so I kind of initially, that's how I'm, I'm looking at it is it's, it's a lot like getting fooled on an off-speed pitch, right? Your, your legs can completely come out from underneath you and you can still produce a pretty decent swing. So um, I'm kind of figuring this out is like there's we've got to I've got to train the upper body better than I'm doing currently. That's that's my first takeaway. The other, if there's a negative on it, it's a piece of technology. So sometimes it's glitchy and sometimes it locks up. And when I'm running a half hour at a time, that kind of like, I'm like, come on. Oh, you got to be, I mean, you must be just really hustling because you got to, you know, strap all uh-huh. the, the four sensors on the four straps in a half hour less and then take them all off, you know, calibrate, you know, read the graphs, take them all off, and then yep. the next person again. So this week, this week has just—it's purely testing. That is everybody's lesson this week. So it's just purely testing. So I have a full half hour. Um, so where I and it, so far I've been so good. I've mobil, done a mobility assessment and a K vest assessment in a half hour, and I've done it just about every wow. single time. That's so awesome. I'm I'm moving right now. That experience in that area with elite baseball has really helped me, and I have a. You know, I have one of my students come in and, and they collect the data for me so I can I can do my thing. And I just have someone in here just typing on a spreadsheet that I already made up. So, yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, you know, I've had that. For, I've had it for a couple of months now, not not forever, but it is a unique, pretty cool tool. And um, well, I don't know. Did you see that Manny Ramirez KVS clip that Driveline uh, came out with the other day yeah. where it was like pretty much the, like the idea? Perfect. Yeah, like literally, like the, like the exact example that they give was like Manny yeah. Ramirez is that he's he's almost fifty years old and it's uh, it's incredible. Crazy. Yeah, um, it's crazy. What? So when you? I know you've only had it for a couple of days, but I'm just curious. Like even in the past, like when you've worked with Justin, when you look at um, the graph or read it and you don't like something or just you know it doesn't you know the sequence or something is off, are there certain things that you do to help correct that or like what do you? do after you get the information i know you've only had it for a couple days but well i think so i i've kind of been headed this way before the kvest the kvest has affirmed a lot so it's it's a it's been an affirmation type um unit where i'm like oh yeah well that makes sense because that's what i saw before so it has done that and it's cool because the kids like the graph and i can show it to them and that kind of stuff but 
Um, it's also helped me see stuff that I didn't realize before or completely was wrong. But I think when it's, when it's more of the, like it affirms and it confirms with what I thought before, um, I kind of try to say, okay, is this mobility based? Is this strength based or is this mechanical based, mechanically based? So I try to divide things into those three categories. So if I see a nine-year-old kid who's out of sequence, it's either mobility or strength. It's not, this is not a mechanical issue. Now, if I see a 19-year-old kid who just has never been taught that their front elbow is not supposed to go down and they've never been taught that and they have no elbow spacing and it shows up on the K-Vest, now I can sit there and say, okay, look, this is, this, this is supposed to climb and you peek out and it doesn't climb. The, the, next, the next sequence doesn't climb. And here's where your myth, this is where, this should be a bigger gap and this is why. And they're like, oh, okay, now I see it. Now I see that I'm not in the pro range or I see that I'm completely off, I'm slow. That is, that kind of helps them see it and I can pinpoint the where now. With the, with the bat sensor, I use a, a diamond kinetics bat sensor in here and, and blast sometimes too. The, you can see when someone's trigger is slow, you know when their time to impact is slow, but you don't always know where that's coming from. And K-Vest has kind of helped me pinpoint where that's coming from. If their, hip turn, if their hip speed is slow, that's probably it. If there's, you know, their lead arm and their torso are at the exact same speed, well, there it is. So there's, you know, I can now pinpoint, okay, this is my target area. It's probably because your scaps, you don't have scap strength and you need to hold your, your hands back a little bit longer. So your warm up and your mobility circuit is going to be heavily based on that. You'll probably spend longer on the rowing machine. You'll probably have, you know, the J bands, you'll probably use a heavier band than you used to. You'll probably do more up band upright rows, um, things that target the scaps and just strengthen them. Um, if someone's hip speed is slow or their decel is really slow, which I'm finding a lot of, uh, especially females don't decelerate very well. Um, that would be more strength and stability based. So that's like, Hey, I would, first thing I would do is say, Hey, if you want your assessment, you can have it, go take it to a strength coach and tell them this is what you need to work on because I'm not qualified to do that. So oh, that's a, that's a fantastic uh, explanation. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> no, it really was. It really was. Um, so actually, one of the just kind of the to kind of piggyback on on the KVest and technology is you hear so much about exit velocity um, in baseball, but I, but I'm wondering, you know, in softball, like what's I don't I don't know, like what's a good exit velocity? If you're above seventy, you're doing some things. Okay. So. Okay. Um, when you watch, I was getting a kick out of watching the Women's College World Series. We were talking about it in the building is uh, Jessica Mendoza does baseball, you know, Sunday night baseball. And she's like, that had to have been 109 mile per hour exit velocity. And I'm like, 109, that would be like, that ball would have been 500 feet. Uh, it's, I would say, typically what we look for, what we go for in here is if you can get the ball consistently in the air and you can hit 65 miles per hour, you can hit for power pretty easily. Okay. So 65 with, with a, you know, a, an approach angle between five and 15 and consistently you're getting balls in the air. You can, you can hit for power pretty well. If you, uh, we have an 80 mile per hour club in here. Ooh. Um, I do not measure off of a tee because I think it's, it's eyewash. Yeah. Um, I only measure when the ball's moving. 
So we have an 80-mile-per-hour club in here, and we don't have any players in it yet. Uh, so we have a couple, I think, have do gotten you th- Do you think you would have been in the 80-mile-an-hour club? No idea. You never, I mean, you never tested I think, it? I, okay, so do I put – I have an auto feeder on my machine. Do I put all this stuff on? Hell, yeah, I do. I absolutely do, <laughs> and I still hit on it. Uh, I have the uh, facility record for baseball. So I have five baseball students that come weekly. And so uh, two of them are in high school. And so they have to use their bats, but I get to use a softball bat and our bats are so much hotter than yours and they're lighter. So I I have the facility record right now at 89 miles per hour with a baseball coming out of the machine with a softball bat. Nice. So I can hit it 89 miles per hour. The uh, and I'm 32 years old. We'll round that up to 90. We'll run. There it is. I see. That's what I'm talking about. So we have a we have I have one baseball player who has hit uh, 88 miles per hour and he did it with wood, which is pretty cool. And um, he's a junior in high school and he's he's uh, he hasn't even hit his grown man body yet. So I'm kind of excited to see what he does when he he's about 150 pounds soaking wet. So. If he can beef up a little bit and get a little stronger, I think he can, you know, be a pretty productive hitter. So, what what type of, um, or I shouldn't say, do you, do you think like using machines are a good thing for for softball? Uh, pitching machines. Yes. Yep. Yeah, and I, if you would have asked me two years ago, I would have given you a long soliloquy of how I hate pitching machines. Um, they, yeah, I, if you get a good three wheel machine like a hack attack or a spin ball, I have a spin ball. Um, this hack attack, is it a special one for softballs or just the regular one work too? Yeah, no, the, I, I don't know if there's like a hack attack, like a adjustable one. I have an adjustable spin ball, so I can throw baseballs and softballs through okay. it. So, and I make the, the girls hit both. <laughs> I really? make them hit baseballs sometimes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the more that you can freak out someone's brain, to me, it's, it's, it's the blocked versus random practice model. The more I can freak you out and make things more difficult, I'm, I'm into that. So that's that. And that's what you say. That's the reason I bought the machine is the machine can throw gas and I can't. So I can now expose a kid to something that they've never seen before instead of, so I can be proactive instead of being reactive. You know, instead of a kid coming to me on a Tuesday and saying, hey, last weekend I faced the hardest pitcher I've ever seen with the best rise ball I've ever seen, I can now be the best pitcher and throw the best rise ball they've ever seen before they see it. And so when they see it, it doesn't freak them out as much. So I, I have so a to really – go ahead, go ahead. Go, you go ahead. I, well, I'll just say I, I have a really stupid question, and that is like what type of pitches – I mean, I, I, I have no idea uh, in softball. I mean – do you like is it like a curveball, like where you spin it one way or another with your hand, or is it just? I mean, yeah. I, I don't. I, I seriously have no idea. I mean, it's it's our pitches that people throw. Um, it's it they're different. Like we have a screwball in softball, although that's debatable. I don't think that pitch actually moves, but I've been I've I've been proven wrong before. So if someone wants to prove me wrong, I hate that pitch. Um, curveballs are good. Uh, it's, um, you can throw it like a two seam fastball and make it cut. You can throw a two seam fastball, and make it run. Um, a drop ball is a big one, which you can actually throw like a, you know, it, it, people, I, I, I'm a Dodger fan. So like Kershaw's curveball is real 12 to six. You can throw a pretty nasty dropping 12 to six fastball and softball. We, we call it a drop ball. And 
we could throw a rise ball, which is it will end up higher than it comes out of the hand, um, which it's it's fighting gravity, so it appears to like cut up. Um, it's there's a lot of research that suggests that it doesn't, but it does fight gravity, so it doesn't fall at the same trajectory. So we swing underneath it a lot. It's a lot like the high spin rate four seam fastball in baseball. It's it gets a lot of swings and misses underneath because it's got that illusion of hop to it, gotcha. and so uh, it's it's pretty gnarly. We've had that. I think it's funny that uh, we we joke about it in here all the time. Is you know the girls that are baseball fans, they they turn on baseball and they say. Well, these, these guys can't hit that high fastball. And they're like, man, we've been dealing with the rise ball for years. And it's true. <laughs> we've been dealing with this crap forever. So I was watching uh, Washington play the other night. And um, and whoever, I forget her name, but she was on the mound and just throwing just absolute gas. I mean, you could tell. Like, I don't, I, I it, yeah, she, it was like she was sitting in the 70s, like low 70s. I mean, just absolute. Uh, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but um, sh- incredible. I mean, is that is that the higher end i guess what would be like a normal velo for like a college for college softball depending on the level you play at typically the higher the level you play at the higher the average velo um i mean i played at marshall and i would say the hardest thrower we had on our team was throwing 62 63 maybe um we had a lot in the high 50s um in high school uh, like high level high school, like if a good high school team or a good travel ball program, um, if the, if you don't have those those girls throwing seventy or those girls, and there are young girls that throw seventy, wow. I think uh, I think the weight room has completely transformed pitching. I still think pitching is um, it's lowest on the totem pole. So I, I like to think baseball pitching is at the top yep. and it always will be. Um, baseball hitting is next. Then you have softball hitting. And then you have softball pitching at the very bottom. And there's a huge gap between softball pitching and softball hitting because we don't have a model to pull from um, like we do in baseball. Softball steals everything from baseball. So we don't have that model to pull from. And so we're trying to figure it out. And it's it's in the very anecdotal, um, we teach effects instead of teaching causes um, spot right now. But the weight room has transformed softball pitching. There are more pitchers that throw hard now than there ever have been, simply because weight programs, especially when you get to college, are so advanced now that, um, and girls start lifting earlier now that you see girls throwing harder sooner. So, um, is there a difference? Is the swing different? No. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm being like dead serious. Like I've had people dead, dead serious. There's no difference. Okay. I mean, I couldn't imagine that'd be like if I'm doing soft toss with a baseball player, I, you know, I would tell him, okay, now it's completely change your swing when I go to overhand BP. It's there's, that's, a, that's probably the most concise way I could have ever put it myself. <laughs> Good <Yeah>. job. Uh, <laughs> there, there, no, there's absolutely no difference. And, and I, I think that's part of the reason I coach the way that I coach is because for my, a lot of my youth is a lot of people tried to tell me different. And I played baseball first. And and I was a terrible baseball player, by the way. I, I think my last season of Little League Baseball, I didn't get a hit in the entire season. So <laughs> I was a terrible baseball player. Uh, but when I ca- transferred to softball, it was like everyone wanted, no, 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 you got to you know swing down, hit it on the ground. We Look how close first base is, and you got to beat it out. And I'm like, dude, I'm slow, and that stuff ain't going to work. 
So I'm going to just try to hit the ball the way I know how. And um, I, I loved softball. I fell in love with it. And I worked at it like crazy. And that that was it. That was the only difference. It wasn't because baseball was different than softball and I had to take a different swing. It was just I didn't love playing baseball as much as I loved playing softball because it it just I, I was around people like me. I was around girls and I felt comfortable and it just I fell in love with the sport. Yeah, no, it, it, and it's pretty it's it was it's interesting that you started out playing baseball. I actually work with a girl right now who is still playing baseball and she's 14. Um, and so she's, you know, actually going into high school this upcoming year. And she's like, I, I kind of want to play uh, baseball still. I was like, all right, well, so Macy, if you're out there listening, all right, uh, keep working hard. So hopefully you'll do play, it. The, play in the big league someday. Hell um, yeah, do it. Yeah. I wanted to play for the Dodgers growing up, man. Come on. Right, right. Um, <laughs> a, a couple more questions I have. I know I appreciate your time. I know you're busy. You got a time slot um, and then you got to get back to work. Um, a couple things. So. When I, I've seen uh, a lot of people practice the, like, uh, running swing down um, softball swing. I, I don't know. What's that What's that called? And we call that the slap. The slap. So what's yep. – uh, do you do that or do you teach that? So I have one slapper who I give lessons to. And um, the game – okay, so let me give you a, a, a kind of – back when I was in high school and even in college – slappers would lead the nation in batting average and they don't anymore. And there's two reasons why. Number one, again, the weight room has done wonders for softball. Girls are more athletic. The ground ball to the shortstop that used to be a hit is no longer a hit because that shortstop can now throw 68 miles per hour across the diamond and you're out. That's part one. Part two, there are new rules in uh, college softball, especially, and if you watched it all, you probably noticed a couple of them. If any part of your foot now is out of the box when you make contact, and I'm talking like a, sh- you know, a shoelace, any part of your foot is out of the, of the box, um, you're automatically out if you make contact with the ball. So um, slappers now have to stay in the box when they used to get away with stepping across because it used to have to be your whole foot that was out. Now it's any part of your foot that's out. So um, it's a lot like uh, in soccer, the whole ball has to be out for it to be considered out of bounds. In basketball, if your toe touches the line, it's out of bounds. So now it's, it's more like basketball, where if your toe exits the box at all, you're out. You're out. So now slappers have to stay in the box. Um, batting averages went down because they can't reach a lot of the pitches that they used to be able to reach. Um, they can't get around balls that they used to bunt. So, and that coupled with the, you know, the defense just exploding in athleticism. The slapper is slowly, and I don't know if college softball is doing this on purpose or not, but the slapper seems to be eradicated from, they're trying to be eradicated from the game. I have one slapper in here and her job is to hit the ball over the fence. And I try to make her hit the ball over the fence. I had a bet with her dad. I lost this year because I told him she would hit a home run and she hit two balls off the top of the fence and never hit it out. So I have to buy them dinner now, which is fine. Uh, but she is the loosest mover of anyone I've ever given lessons to from a mobility standpoint. And so if you look at how you're going to create tension in your body, if you cross over, you're creating tension in your core a lot easier. And that actually helped her. She cannot stand still and hit. Mm. Her time to contact is slow. Her bat speed is slow. 
but when she crosses over, she removes the slack from her body and she can swing a lot faster. And she's not fast. She's not trying to beat the ball out to first. She's trying to hit the ball hard. And that just gives her the best opportunity to do that. That was 100% accidental. I We switched her over to a slapper years ago, but now I understand why it works. So I might keep that in my back pocket for another lefty hitter who's a loose mover who just can't get her swing up to speed. I might just have her cross over. Hmm. So, so she her her reason's a little bit different. I mean, she's still trying to drive the ball. It's not like the people who I see trying to do it, like they literally are just trying to hit the ball right on the ground. Correct. Okay. And I think that is being eliminated from the game because I think people just understand that doesn't work anymore. Hmm. It just it that that third baseman and shortstop are now an incredible athlete with an incredible arm and they're gonna throw you out. Yeah. So. Man, that's that's interesting. I mean, would you say that softball like over the course of maybe the last five years have you seen it grow exponentially or is it about the same or just in popularity like of, of people playing it um would you say like what would you say in the last five years uh it's grown tremendously i think uh, there was an article that came out uh, earlier this year about how softball is now considered a revenue sport at the division one level which is huge yeah, um yeah. it's i mean softball now makes money for universities and which is fantastic and you can see i live in a uh in northwest indiana we live in so people work in chicago or work with companies in chicago and then live here in northwest indiana so there's a lot of money and softball is just like baseball it's a it's a money sport it's not like basketball where you know it, it thrives in the uh you know like the rural areas and and places where there's not a lot of money and there's high crime basketball thrives in areas like that because all you need is a is a basketball and there's there's a hoop on every corner we need space we need training it's a skill sport which means we have to train it cr like crazy um at, being a good athlete helps but it doesn't get you on the field all the time because you have to be able to hit a moving ball that's traveling at a high speed and that's a skill so I am fortunate to live in this little community where there's quite a bit of expendable income and people will pay money to have their kids trained. And I've seen just a huge explosion in it. There's a, a brand new complex that went up here and they host a lot of uh, um, PGF tournaments, which is like our perfect game, PGF is. And uh, they that facility was built for that. And so we have a lot of teams now pop up around here that are actually pretty good because they practice they have a, a great facility to practice at now and so it kind of just kind of branches out into the independent coaches that are around it awesome rachel you've been a fantastic guest um again i really really appreciate it i'm glad that i now realize that you weren't blowing me off all day long i was in the cage and i was <laughs> like uh uh you know i was uh you know <laughs> when Man, I, I had an old la i had an old lady fast pitch game last night i was not up at seven in the morning <laughs> not even not even happening all right well again i really appreciate it um it's been awesome a lot of fun and i know uh you know what kind of what you're saying is going to help a lot of people and again just really appreciate you coming on thank you for having me and uh I'm, I'm learning a lot from you as well so thank you for all the content that you put out there and I, I just, I'm, I've learned a lot, so thank you. Appreciate it, yep, thank you.